Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The West Steps. And we are just about getting ready to wrap up this year's legislative session. And I thought that this week we'll sit down with one of our own, Aaron Miller, and talk about what the governor, the advocates, the state legislator have tried to do this legislative session for babies and moms. So, Aaron, what has the state legislator has been doing for this whole session for babies and for for pregnant moms? Yeah, I um, I think it's been like a pretty good session for babies and moms. Um, It's pretty, there's been some good stuff. Um, We've talked about some of the stuff that we're working on um, here already. Um, But just in case maybe folks are a little behind on their West Steps listening Mm -hmm. and and aren't all caught up, um, I think one of the big policies that we we're able to get through this year um, is around uh, strengthening our maternal mortality review committee. And so we've done a number of episodes on that. Um, Colorado has a volunteer committee, but it lacked funding and protections that make it really a strong committee that can really examine maternal deaths um, in a way that's bringing perspectives by those you know most impacted and really bringing good stakeholders together Um and, and looking at what's happened and thinking about, like, how do we stop this going forward? And so that bill has a lot of great things in it that'll help improve that process and make sure that the committee can look at deaths in a timely way, in a comprehensive way, and put out recommendations, including to our legislature, about, like, these are policy changes we need to see in Colorado for how to stop this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good bill for um, moms and, and babies, because, you, like, uh, you know, I think... Um, one of our stakeholders, we've been working with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists mm-hmm. on this one. And, you know, they're like, no baby should ever leave the hospital without their mom. And so um, it's a really good Very deal for valid families. Point. Right. <laughs> um, and so that's one. Um, a couple of our other priorities this session have also focused on um, just sort of improving that prenatal period, which I think um, is a little bit new among child advocacy organizations. Like, it feels funny to say that because... It's so clear that it's such an integral part to like getting a family off to a good start. Yeah. And yet I think for a long time, people sort of thought about like childhood as starting at the age of three. Right. And Mm -hmm. then there was sort of a push to like, oh, what happens before they're three? Um, And and like a further push to think about like, okay, what are the environments and supports that create strong families and let mom sort of thrive through that prenatal period and giving birth and being a new mom? Mm hmm. Um, and so we have worked on a couple of policies in that space this session. Um, one was to provide um, dental benefits for pregnant women who use CHIP for their health insurance program. So CHIP is the children's health insurance program in Colorado, um, but it covers not only kids, but but pregnant moms. And so it covers about 900 pregnant women a year. Um, and it's folks who make too much to qualify for Medicaid but not enough to afford private coverage on their own. So it's working families. Um, like I said, about 900 women a year. And this this group of women didn't have access to oral health care. And uh, I think that there's just been this increasing acknowledgement, again, of the importance of this prenatal period and the importance of oral health to, like, health overall. Um, and so this, is this like the maternal mortality policy, actually, um, it's something that we'd been working on for years <laughs> that folks have been thinking about for a long time. Um, and this year, there was a space to say, 
like we want to keep moms healthy. And a big part of how you keep someone healthy is making sure they have access to the full range of health services, which is all the physical health care, mental health care and oral health care that they could need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that leads to better outcomes. And so, um, you know, we really got pushed, I think, in the House, especially like, why is this important? How does this lead to better outcomes? And now that there is this body of research that says that um, poor oral health is uh, tied to all of these outcomes that you don't want to see to low birth weight babies, to preterm births, to moms having preeclampsia, that like knowing that oral health is associated with those conditions, that it makes sense to provide as much care to these women and make sure they have access to these oral health services in the prenatal period so mm-hmm. that they can go into, you know, having their kid in that new mom period with the, as healthy a kind of as being as healthy as possible, including mm-hmm. their oral health, I guess. Mm-hmm. So this is very interesting. Both these large policy issues that you just talked about are uh, something that the advocacy space has been working on for a really, really long time, which leads me to think and the dental bill that you just talked about passed the legislator with unanimous votes. So a couple of years ago, you couldn't get it anywhere near the governor's desk. Now it's gone with the full support of the General Assembly. So what is different? What what is what is the change that's making these really important policy solutions become reality for moms and babies? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. One I've been thinking about all session. Um, and so just like you said, like, um, you know, we started working on providing this dental benefit for pregnant moms on chip three years ago. We couldn't get it on bill paper. Um uh, this year, it passed with one no vote the entire way through. Um, similarly, uh, a bill to strengthen our maternal mortality review committee um, died three years ago in the Senate. Um, and this year, it passed without a single no vote the entire way. And and so I think that there are a couple of things that have shifted. I think um, I think the environment has shifted, right? Like people are increasingly recognizing this this prenatal and postpartum time is like crucial to the well-being of of women, of babies, of families. There's just like more emphasis placed on this period. Um, I think that there has been a lot in the media that's really helped with that. I think it really shows what, um, you know, media can do to shine a light on critical issues. So there's a big um, uh, series over the last year, a year and a half um, from NPR and ProPublica on maternal mortality and mm-hmm. how the United States is the only developed country that's seeing this dramatic rise in maternal mortality, mm-hmm. just really examining the issues that are happening there, how racism is contributing to disparities in maternal mortality rates and um, all of the sort of underlying issues. And so I think that that has really helped like focus attention on this critical problem. And then I think the other thing that's shifted is uh, advocacy strategies. And I think um, I, you know, like, I don't know exactly what's driving that change, but I, I think people are finding their voice and they are finding the courage of their story and they're coming forward and willing to share it. And it has having such a tr- tremendous and profound effect on policymakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially around, um, thinking about the maternal mortality bill this year, um, you know, a few years ago when it was run, um, a lot of providers talked about how important it was, how important it was for the state and for to improve our data and mm-hmm. um, and our and our research around this issue. Um, but you didn't have as many women with near death experiences or the family members of people who had died in childbirth actually 
coming forward and sharing their story. And I think Mm -hmm. that that perspective is just so powerful that when you hear someone say, like, we have to improve this process because I almost died or we have to improve this process because my daughter did die. Like, I think it just it elevates it outside of how big is the fiscal note and what what kind of data processes are we going to follow to like really thinking about like how this impacts people. Um, And so having people willing to share their story and to talk about, you know, what the health issues that happen to them, whether they be physical health or behavioral health and how people are falling through the cracks of our system. Um, and I think it just really highlights um, the issue and it and it it helps sort of it helps legislators who spend the, the, all of their time looking at fiscal notes and data. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But to like hear people who come and testify and say, like, this is important to me and my family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, yeah it just really um, raises the issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing I'll add to this is that like elections have consequences. And when we take part in who we vote for and how we vote for them and what issues we bring up in that entire process, I think. I remember when before the 2018 elections that we spent a lot of time trying to raise these issues into the conversation of the election cycle. So I think that being able to start this process at a lot sooner than when, you know, the General Assembly comes together and really putting it into the elected officials' hands how important this issue is, this issue is really then accelerate the whole process, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean— so from the children's campaign perspective, we we put together a, like an election book for any candidate running for office across Colorado. Right. Mm-hmm. And we send it out. And one of those fact sheets was on sort of this prenatal period. And how do you make sure it's a good period for Colorado families? And so I think that that then when when folks were seated and they you know were elected to office, they came in with that frame. And it was easier than to think about, like, how do we make this as strong as possible in Colorado? Absolutely. So you've talked about some really important issues that help um, kids and families here in Colorado be healthier and kind of start on that right foot from the beginning and making sure that uh, moms have what they need in order to have a successful pregnancy, but also that year after pregnancy is one of successful one for both uh, the mom and the baby which leads me to think that now the session is wrapping up. What are the issues that are still a concern for you that you're going to be working on for the rest of the year and the things that you think that Colorado still has a long way to go when it comes to uh, providing for the babies and pregnant moms? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> I think I have, I've been doing a lot of thinking around that. I do want to highlight just before we move on, just maybe one more policy. Sure, sure. That it did, that is, well... That's moving mm-hmm. um, right through the legislature right now. I'm crossing my fingers because we're in the last three days of the legislative session and this one's not across the finish line yet. Yeah. But um, we uh, worked with a lot of stakeholders, um, state agencies uh, and others to um, create some pilot programs to improve care um, and better integrate care for moms who have opioid use and other substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so to provide uh both better integrated um, substance use treatment. So if you're going to a medication-assisted treatment site every day to get a medication to help you stay off of opioids and you're pregnant, um, being able to get your prenatal care right there. So integrating prenatal care and smart, yeah, um, into those settings. So because like mm-hmm. you're already going to a do- like a clinic every day, you might as well, you <laughs> um, might as to well ask yeah. like to go to other clinics. It's yeah. just a lot to ask. 
Um, and and then similarly to better integrate behavioral health services into OB clinics, um, because uh, this is actually um, Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week um, and uh, maternal depression and anxiety are the most common complications of pregnancy. Um, and so just better integrating behavioral health care into OB settings so that mm-hmm. as women present with you know, mental health concerns or, or substance use disorder concerns in the prenatal period or postpartum, that they can get those behavioral health services integrated right into their um, OB clinics, too. Mm-hmm. So working on a couple of those pilots, they have great results from other states. They're best practices from other states. They increase sobriety six months postpartum. They help moms, awesome. um, you know, relate to their kids the way that they want to. Yeah. Um, uh, and so um, we're really excited about those. Just one just one other one I wanted to talk about. Um, so we're excited about those policies, and um, but we'll see if they if they get they there in the last couple of days. Um, but so yeah, to move on to your question about what's next, um, I think it's a big question and a fun one, and and one that we're going to be working on all summer with our partners and making sure that we're building big tables and bringing diverse stakeholders together and taking as much leadership as possible from families and organizations that are directly impacted by these issues. Um, but I think. Um, a few things that are sort of top of mind, um, as you mentioned, um, thinking about how to strengthen this postpartum period. So one of the things we know about maternal mortality is that a lot of deaths happen like in that first year postpartum, but like, mm. qu- like not in the first six weeks. Like mm-hmm. there's a good chunk of deaths that happen like after sort of the immediate postpartum period. Um, and a lot of those are due to behavioral health concerns. Um, So suicide and accidental overdose are leading causes of death in that period. Um, So one of the things that we've been doing a lot of thinking about is how do we connect um, postpartum women to health insurance coverage in a more seamless way? Mm -hmm. So Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program will provide coverage for pregnant women, um, you know, if they can't afford coverage on their own. Um, But then that coverage ends 60 days after the end of the month in which their pregnancy ends. Um, so, you know, it's like two to three months. Yeah. Time. (laughs) So it's like two to three months after they have their kid and like you have a lot going on in your life right then. Like it's like hard to. It's literally a new person in your house. Yeah. And (laughs) to like think about like reading through a bunch of insurance documents and figuring out what next steps you have to take. So we're really trying to think about like, how do we make sure those women are connected to resources so that they can get coverage through the exchange? If they're eligible for that, if they're eligible for tax credits there, what do we do for the women who. Um, because of this thing called the family glitch and the way that their family's employer health insurance is structured, um, might not be able to afford that coverage, but like aren't eligible for federal tax credits. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do for those folks? Um, so we're thinking about like, um, uh, you know, how do we better meet the needs of these women? And um, can we set up systems where uh, there's like warm outreach, right? Where like you're not required to read through eight pages of like health insurance documents and then take active steps yeah. on your own while you're like breastfeeding. And so um, where, you know, someone's like maybe calling you and saying yeah. like, hey, can I help you think about your options to get you signed up? And like, and thinking about what financial assistance the state might need to provide for families who don't qualify for federal assistance. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking through those issues. Um, I think that, um, one of the issues that folks with children's campaign um, really started to think about this year, but where policy solutions are really complex is around infant mortality, mm-hmm. which is like tragically, uh, it's a lot more common than maternal mortality, which is already too common. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, it, it's a common issue. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done there. I think that there's 
we're like, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about infant loss. We need to bring families who have been affected by infant loss and want to tell their stories. Like we need to get their voices out there and, and, and listen to them when they say like, these are the things that would have helped me either Mm -hmm. help prevent the loss or if, you know, some losses are not preventable, but Mm -hmm. like after that loss, like these are the structures that I, yeah, yeah. like that would need to be in place to like help me, you know, that would have helped me in that, in those like darkest hours that anyone can imagine really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to do a better job with that population and thinking through um, what we need there. And then I think um, the last uh, piece that um, it, it, some of these policies moved this session, I think there's more that need to be done is thinking about the environmental factors that impact so much of this, right? Like there's health coverage gets you so far, making sure it's comprehensive health coverage that has oral health care and behavioral health care um, included, but also thinking about all of those other systems that surround families. So housing is a big one, right? That it's yeah. it's really hard to have a safe pregnancy and childbirth and happy postpartum period if your housing's insecure, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have a, a place where you know you can be and be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there have been some good policies that are making their way through the legislature around improving housing affordability and security this session. And I think there's more work to be done there. Um, similarly, food security is really big. Like one of the best ways to prevent um, low low birth weight babies is to make sure their moms have enough to eat. These sizes <laughs> are so complicated, here. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, just you know, making sure that we're doing as much as we can to uh, ensure that everyone has enough to eat in Colorado. Um, and then uh, thinking about too. Um, other environmental factors that impact these issues. And so tobacco was one of those. Um, you know, there's something that's moving maybe through the legislature again mm-hmm. in these last three days right now. But, you know, I think there'll be ongoing work in that space because reducing tobacco and vaping use has been shown to have these impacts on on maternal and child well-being where mm-hmm. it helps babies be born at full birth weight. It, it helps them live through their first year. Like um, there's just a, a lot of other environmental things that impact this period, too. Absolutely. Well, um, I want to say thank you for making the time in such a crazy, crazy week of the last week of the legislative session. And we will be back next week as kind of our last episode of the session um, to wrap up what's been happening uh, at the state legislature. What were the things that uh, the children's campaign worked on with partners and, and so forth. So make sure you join us next week for our kind of session wrap-up um, of the uh, 2019 legislative session. And if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to this podcast wherever you find it and forward it to your friend and family and let them know what um, Colorado's been up to this legislative session. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks.